0: Hatred is clearly forbidden in Scripture. Is there somebody that you have hatred toward? You hate them so badly, you honestly wish they were dead.
1: Today, Pastor Greg Laurie points out Jesus had some strong things to say about having that kind of hatred for someone.
0: Jesus is saying, look, you can say you've never killed anyone, but do you hate someone so much you wish they were dead Then, in effect, you're a murderer in your heart. This
1: is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, now sweet the sound. Can you hear all the angels are singing? This is the day, the day will life begins. The Bible tells us God is love. Yes, He's loving, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says God is love. And it says, he who doesn't love doesn't know God. So it should come as no surprise that hatred is not a part of God's plan for believers. But today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie addresses the hatred that we see around us in our culture. What are we as believers to do? Good insight is coming, but first, a word of warning to parents. The content of today's study may be a little strong for young listeners.
0: murder. Our culture is awash in it. Everywhere you look, you see it. You see it on your TV set. You see it in theaters. You see it in music, video games. And then you see it in real time. Even terrorist organizations executing people with four-camera HD shoots But it's not fake, it's real, the taking of lives. It's so overwhelming we become numb to it and it's all around us. And just imagine how different our world would be if we would obey this commandment, thou shall not kill. A better translation, frankly, is you shall not murder. I don't have time to go into this in depth, but suffice it to say, the Bible does not condemn all killing. Numbers 35 plainly states a difference which God places between killing and murder. As an example, all murder is killing, but not all killing is necessarily murder. Example, self-defense. If someone were to break into your home uh, with the intent of harming or killing you and the members of your family, does a Christian have the right to defend themselves? The answer is clearly yes. This is supported in the Bible. So don't be unclear about that. Remember, Jesus sent his disciples out and he told them, take a sword. Why would they take a sword? To do shish kebab maybe or something? (laughs) For self-defense, clearly. And we also know that God has established the military and God has established law enforcement for our own protection. In fact, you could even say that the person in law enforcement or in the military is doing God's work. Because Romans 13 says, the authorities do not frighten people who are doing right. The authorities are sent by God to help you if you're doing something wrong and you should be afraid and you will be punished. The authorities are established by God for this very purpose, to punish those that do wrong. I would bring this up because some would say, well, God is against all of this. He doesn't like violence of any kind. No, if it's in the right cause. Uh, When a person is serving in law enforcement, uh, their very uniform uh, is something that has an intimidating effect on people. I know because I have friends who are cops and sometimes I'll meet them for a meal or coffee and, and you know, uh, officer walks in in uniform. He's got his Sam Brown on. That's that big belt, you know, with all of the stuff he carries. He's got his weapon. He's got his cuffs. He's got his pepper spray. He's got his donut. Um, they, they have a holder for a donut. No, they don't. I'm just kidding. But, uh, I actually asked a cop, like, what is the deal with cops and donuts? He goes, sometimes we're in places like that because we have to get out of there fast, okay? So that makes sense for sure. But, you know, when an officer walks into a room in uniform, the whole energy of the room will change, you know. And uh, how about when you're driving down the freeway and a CHP just is cruising along, everybody slows down. If he slows down, everybody slows down. If he's under the speed limit, now we're all under the speed limit, right? Because there's that representation. But then there's our military, those that serve us in uniform. We should thank God for them, we should pray for them, <laughs> and they need our prayers. Some would say, Well, God is against war. Well, God is not for war, but there are times when there is a just cause for a war. As an example, you remember Jesus met the Roman centurion. And if Jesus is against war and the military and people in uniform, he would have said to this Roman soldier, forsake your armor and your weapons and follow me. But instead the soldier came to him and said, hey, I have a servant that's sick. Could you speak the word and he'll be healed? Jesus says, I'll go with you and heal him. And the guy says, you don't have to go with me. I'm a man in authority. I say to one person, go and do this and they do it. Say to another, do that and they do it. Just speak the word, Jesus, and it will be done. And Jesus commends the guy and says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Look at this guy. So in a way, he commends the guy. And so the point is is that they're there for our protection. What does the word murder mean? It literally means to dash in pieces, by the way. Uh, That word is never used to describe the death of an animal, nor is it used to describe the death of an opponent in war, nor is it used to describe the death that comes through capital punishment. God himself, in my opinion, established capital punishment. Genesis 9-6 says you must execute anyone who murders another person, for to kill a person is to kill a living being made in the image of God. The Bible views capital punishment as a deterrent to others, thus a protector of life. But the irony is sometimes you'll see someone who is on death row, and maybe the date of their execution is coming, and there'll be protesters outside, and one of those signs will invariably say, thou shalt not kill, as though they're breaking a commandment by capital punishment. And then what I find ironic is some of the very people that oppose capital punishment would support abortion on demand. Now you explain that to me. So basically you're saying spare the guilty and take the life of the innocent. Because an unborn child in the womb is an innocent and they have every right to live. Now... There's varying degrees even among believers on capital punishment, so I'll concede that point. But I will not concede any point on the topic of abortion. Because life begins at conception. And we're made in the image of God. This is not a debatable subject, honestly. If you don't agree with that, then you frankly disagree with the Bible. Psalm 139 says... You made all of my delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for being so wonderfully complex. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. The psalmist writes, every day of my life is recorded in your book. Every moment was laid up before a single day had passed. Showing that God has a plan for every one of us, even before birth, The Lord says in Jeremiah 1.5, when you were still in your mother's womb, I set you apart and I formed you and appointed you. So every child is created by God and should be given the chance to live. Max Ocato made this statement, and I quote, you were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on this earth by the master craftsman, end quote. So you might say, well, wait a second, what if the child was conceived out of wedlock? What of it? You don't think that child should live as well? You don't think God doesn't have a plan for their life? God had a plan for my life, and I was conceived out of wedlock? I'm glad that my mother didn't go and have an abortion. And so every one of these children has a right to live. Well, yeah, but I don't know. I think these are illegitimate children. There are no illegitimate children. Illegitimate parents, yes, illegitimate children, no. Every child, no matter how they were conceived or how they came about, are loved by God.
1: Thanks for joining us for A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie. Pastor Greg is talking about life and death matters today, the taking of human life through murder and through abortion. It's obviously a heavy topic, so a word of warning to parents. The content of today's study might be a bit strong for young listeners. Let's get back into his message now called Violence and Sex. Abortion
0: is so commonplace today. Since the passing of Roe v. Wade in the early 70s, over 60 million babies have been aborted. And now there are even advocates for abortion who will admit how women will struggle with grief after an abortion. A University of Minnesota study on teen suicide found that the rate of attempted suicide increased 10 times for teens who had had an abortion. Listen, the abortion is never the answer. So let's say that a young lady finds herself pregnant outside of wedlock. Uh, What should she do? She should have the baby, carry the baby to term. And raise the baby if possible. Maybe the father and her can get married. Uh, maybe the Lord will bring another man into her life later. If she doesn't feel she can raise the child, put the child up for adoption. And there's many, many people who would love to adopt that child, but abortion should never, ever be an option. It should not be on the table as a possibility because God has a plan for each one of these. What they've found is if a pregnant woman will get a sonogram, they will never get an abortion. 90% of mothers who have had a sonogram decided against abortion. Now we need to look at what the Lord says in his word on these topics. Yeah, but wait, Greg, hold on now. What about if the mother's life is in danger? Okay, let's illustrate that for a moment the mother's life is in danger. Let's say you go to a doctor, you're pregnant, and they say if you carry this baby to term, you could die in the process, so you should get an abortion. Is that right? Okay, let's think of this in another way. Let's just say that you're a mother, and you're walking with your toddler, and your toddler runs into a busy street, and there's an oncoming car. What would you do? You would do whatever necessary to move the little one from the oncoming car, and if you were hit in the process, that's what you would do because you're a mother. Your maternal instinct would kick in, right? So what if your life were in danger? Well, I heard about a couple named Pam and Bob who were serving as missionaries in the Philippines. And uh, as it turns out, uh, Pam contracted amoebic dysentery, the leading cause of death in the country. And she was pregnant at that time with her fifth child. She was very dehydrated and very sick and she went to the doctor and he advised her to get an abortion because of the powerful medicine she would have to take to survive. She could not carry this child to term, he said. So if you wanna live, the baby's gonna have to die. And so she prayed about it with her husband and as Bible-believing Christians, they said, no, we're not going to terminate this pregnancy. We're not going to abort this baby. And they carried the baby to term and it was a healthy little baby boy. They named him Tim, by the way. You might know him. His name is Tim Tebow, right? So that's his story, a true story. But maybe I'm talking to a mother today who has aborted her baby. And you're living with the guilt and the remorse and you wished you had not done it. Well, let me just say this to you. A a word of hope. Uh, You will see your baby again. Because I believe that every little one that is taken in the womb through abortion, any little child that dies goes straight into the presence of God in heaven. That's taught in the Bible, right? (laughs) Jesus said, let the children come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven heaven. So you'll see your child again. And now you must ask God to forgive you and you must accept his forgiveness. Uh, I sent a tweet out some time ago uh, about some abortion law that had been passed and I was saying why I thought it was such a horrible idea. And a young lady retweeted it and briefly told me a little of her story, named Crystal, saying she used to work at a Planned Parenthood clinic. So we made contact with her, and as it turns out, there's this young woman named Crystal living in North Carolina, and she worked at Planned Parenthood and was involved in the abortion procedure. Uh, And so she was a professed believer, but this is what she was doing. One day she was driving to work, and she heard a radio broadcast where I talked about how Jesus could come back in any time, and I asked this question, if Jesus were to come back, is there anything you are doing that you would be ashamed to be doing if he were to return? And That day she was there at the clinic, and her words after the abortion was done, she said she was counting the pieces of the dismembered baby. And then she said, and I thought of your statement, if Jesus came back today, would he leave me behind? She decided he probably would. She quit her job, and now she's an advocate for life, defending the lives of babies. We say, well, this doesn't really apply to me. You know, I've never murdered anybody. I've not had an abortion, all right. Well, Jesus takes it a step further in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, I had you turn there, look at verse 21. You've heard that it has been said, says Jesus, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, and it's a little closer to home. There are some people who are driven by anger and hatred. Let me ask you a question. Is there somebody that you have hatred toward? You hate them, so badly, you honestly wish they were dead. You hate this person. Let me restate the question. Have you ever driven on the freeway? (laughs) No, I'm kidding, but you know. Listen, hatred is clearly forbidden in scripture. First John 3.15 says anyone who hates his Christian brother is really a murderer at heart, wow. So Jesus is saying, look, you can say you've never killed anyone, but do you hate someone so much you wish they were dead? Then in effect, you're a murderer in your heart. Over in Ephesians 4.31 it says, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ has forgiven you.
1: A candid discussion of the danger of hatred and the sanctity of life today on A New Beginning. Pastor Greg Laurie with a study from his Ten Commandments series. Pastor Greg returns with more frank counsel for us as he continues this study next time. But as we close today, here's Pastor Greg again to share some final thoughts.
0: Here's a little advice. Um, Let's say that you're really angry at someone. Here's something you might consider doing write it all down in a letter. Put everything you feel in that letter. Get specific. I don't care if it's a five page letter. Write the whole letter. All right? Now burn the letter. Just, you know, get it out, but never send it. Or put it in an email, just don't hit send. Have you ever written an angry email? Something happened. You're really upset. In fact, you're so upset your fingers are shaking. You can't even get them on the keys. shaking You're so agitated and you're typing it in. You're da, 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 you know it's it. And then you hit send by accident. Oh no! I wanted to save it as a draft. Send <laughs> off it goes. And someone that you send it to. Bing. Oh. Uh-huh. And you're furiously googling. How do I get an email back response? You don't, comma idiot. <laughs> don't send it.